DocuPod, the stories behind documentaries. Restorative justice is supposed to be the safety net for those kids that's falling through the cracks. I got an anger problem. I lost my brother last year. Somebody shot him in his head. It's scary watching these kids and knowing what would have happened had they not had sometimes one conversation. Welcome back to DocuPod. I am Tiffany, and I am joined by two incredible men. First, here in the studio, we have Cassidy Friedman, who is the director and producer of Circles and the founder of Stories Matter Media. How you doing? So good. Yay! (laughs) And on the phone lines, we have the king of the universe, (laughs) a nationwide restorative justice educator and activist, the founder of Talking Peace, and the star of the film Circles, Eric Butler. How you doing? I'm good. How's everybody? We're so excited to talk about Circles. There's upcoming screenings this weekend at the Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival. We will get into all the screenings later. But we got to talk about the origin story of this film, an incredible film about restorative justice and the duality of your life, Eric, as far as being in schools with high school students, having conversations with them, and really bringing humanity back into high schools while also having your son have some legal issues and really trying to balance everything and make sense of it all. But the origin story is incredible to me. You guys met through Fania Davis, who has just powerful, beautiful work within Oakland and within social justice work. Of course, her sister is Angela Davis. Cassidy, you got the phone call from her after you wrote your article, and of course she introduced you to Eric, so just kind of walk us through that story. The story of how I met Fanya, who led me to Eric, is back in 2012, I was um, transitioning from being a crime reporter in the news media to going into business for myself and looking for my first feature documentary story. And the last news piece that I did was a multimedia news piece where I was the only reporter who attended a press conference for Fania Davis's organization, Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth's first foray into establishing the power of the work that they're doing over there in in Oakland. And they worked at this place called Cole Middle School, which they transformed by bringing restorative justice, led by Rita Alfred, who worked with Fania. They transformed this school atmosphere from one where there was a high teacher turnover rate, kids were fighting a lot, the testing scores weren't good. I mean, all all the negative metrics you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Within a period after having introduced restorative justice, all that changed so it was big big news right mm-hmm. but I was the only reporter there Jeez. and you know I went ahead and I, I wrote a piece about just the brilliance of this program which resonated really strongly for me because a lot of the values that are being implemented are things that I grew up with in my household my dad is a mediator my mom is a therapist mm-hmm. so the father of mediation right right, right. he literally <laughs> does a, a little statue in the shelf of my of my yes. parents household that is like a bust of Socrates and it was given to him by the Germans who basically he introduced mediation to uh, back in 1988 and so he has this great track record but then he was also doing this work for his family or trying Mm -hmm. to which is much much more complicated right so when Fania 
was at this press conference talking about this massive impact that they were having just by doing intentional listening and conversation having and trust building i started to kind of feel those butterflies and all those those feelings of recognition going Mm -hmm. off for me and as somebody who was a crime reporter and the past years of my life consisted of sitting in these dreary courtrooms watching a line of usually young men funnel up up through the court and then be told that they have a problem and the way that they're going to get help is we're going to throw you in jail mm-hmm. or fine you or fine your parents mm-hmm. and taking a bad problem and making it worse. Mm-hmm. And here was Fanya saying, we're doing the opposite of all that. Yes. We're working with other people's kids the way you would work with your own child. Mm-hmm. We're showing them love. We're showing them support. We're asking them what's the matter. And we're not treating a disciplinary infraction as the end of the story, but as the something's going on here what is it so that's what i wrote and i made a video piece and uh like a week later fanya calls me up and she says you seem to be the only one who either cares or gets it or whatever it is i'm having a hard time translating what this work really is and i have to go in front of a group of judges later this month could you make a promotional video about the work that we're doing here that I can then show all these judges and potential funders and stuff. And I said, oh, you bet you bet I can. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so she dropped me into McClyman's High School where her best, you know, pioneer of restorative practices was working. That was Eric. And so I shadowed him for a day, interviewed him, cried three times and, and just seeing the power of the, the daily impact that he was having there mm-hmm. and felt this burning need to do a much deeper, bigger, better story than this small promotional video that I'd done. Definitely. And then, of course, Eric, we know that he came to you and he said, I want to do a documentary with you. And you said, absolutely not. <laughs> and, and of course, that was because of the fact that these stories are so personal for these high school students. And it's such a soul-bearing thing to sit in these circles and go through these restorative justice practices. What was the transition like going from absolutely no to the circles documentary that we have now well you're absolutely right first of all i didn't think that it would be a good idea to um have this white guy just following me around mm-hmm. for sake of my reputation <laughs> but the, the transition from absolutely not to let's do it was solely dependent on cassidy's willingness to be open as a human being it kind of didn't have anything to do with me except wanting to build a relationship with Cassidy. And um, we became friends. It didn't take long for that to happen. And it was a longer process to get him introduced to the kids because he was just the guy that was holding the camera following me around. So I thought that he needed to, at the very least, be acquainted with the children if it was going to even be possible. And then I remember you saying that you had asked him the thing that he's most ashamed of. And he had to tell you that. And then you said, okay, now you have to tell these children that. Or these young adults, basically. And how important that was because that's what these students are doing in these circles. Can you talk a little bit about what that was like for both of you? Honestly, Eric, if you want to go first. After a while, it was just common for Cassie and I to have these in-depth conversations. And one day I asked him, what's the one thing that you're mostly ashamed of? 
and he told me we were friends, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But he was he was reluctant. And after sharing the story, I mean, it was really deep and personal. I thought that if he could share that story with the rest of the students in the school, that would open him up in this really really vulnerable way, which would in turn open them up to him because he's kind of trading stories with them and he then would be able to do the documentaries so imagine imagine if you are sitting there with your therapist mm-hmm. right and every week <laughs> <laughs> and there you've just kind of bared your soul thinking well it's just us right we're in this like enclosed private safe space mm-hmm. and it's never leaving here and then your therapist says you've got to share that with the entire school the first feeling is oh hell no but I recognized immediately that there was like something that never fit when I was a journalist, mm. which is journalists are trained to hold their cards really close to their chest, right? Like you can't show bias because it'll be used against you. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you pretend to have no feelings or opinion, which is obviously a tremendous lie. And so what Eric was saying was, not only do I want you to move past that step of remaining neutral and show that you're a person, but you've got to show very worst side of yourself and trust that the people who are listening will see your humanity rather than judge you by the worst thing that you did. And that was the same thing that I was trying to do with the students i mean and that restorative justice tries to do is not judge you by the worst thing that you've done but see you as a full complex person Mm -hmm. and so if i was asking for them to meet me there eric was saying you're gonna have to provide something from yourself too Mm -hmm. we physically had me sit in circle and the talking piece came around to me no cameras were rolling And I shared this story and all the eyes kind of lit up and there was this sense that this guy's not just here to shove a camera in our face and to to take our stories and to disappear behind the editing booth. But this guy is here showing up as a person and now we have something we can hold over him just in the way that he's going to have something (laughs) that, that, you know, he can hold over us. And we're both accountable now to each other in a different way, which strips away all the layers of subject storyteller and makes us just people who are going to be struggling to figure out what's real what's fake and as we move through this many year long process of of making this film together and when you're telling your story we all can tell our stories and some of us have a little bit more difficult Cassidy is a pretty good storyteller so while telling his story, the people, the audience that's, that's listening to the stories get an opportunity to watch him move. It's, it, and it's kind of like watching a movie. So they laugh at the things that are funny, sometimes inappropriately when they're 16, 17 years old. <laughs> they cry when it's sad. They ask questions for clarity. And it's all done right there in the moment. So if we're creating a piece of ourselves for our audience right there in the moment, and they get a chance to interact with us, we're essentially birthing a relationship. And that feels good. It, it, it feels like falling in love. We just do it with 15 kids at the same time. I love that. And actually, on your guys' Facebook, there's this 
incredible video of Cece bringing the Peace Circle to the school board meeting and having the children tell their stories in a Peace Circle. You talked about how you cried the first day you were with her. I cried watching that video earlier and just the magnitude of it. So I kind of want to speak on that as well as the title. The Peace Circles, of course, a huge part of the film, but also Cassidy, you spoke about how when you guys went to New Orleans, Eric popped up at this place and didn't really tell you who you're meeting and you found out later that that was his mentor and that was very full circle. Eric, we'll ask you in a second about the title for you, but Cassidy, what was the title like for you? So the title remained the same from the very beginning to now, but the meaning behind it changed or evolved. And so initially, I was very much still like a journalist starting to make his first film. And so I was interested in clinically speaking, does restorative justice work? And how do we measure that? What do the numbers tell us? And which is a very journalistic thing, right? (laughs) And then if Eric does something outside of the circle, I'm like, "Uh, uh, uh, I don't know what that is. Mm. It's too messy. It's too complicated. And of course, all that shifted because ultimately this film goes all over into his personal life. So there was a shift for me that happened. Initially, the film was called Circles because I was just filming all these circles that Eric was doing. Mm. And there was community building circles, there were grief circles, but always it was this it was Eric sitting down with either uh, students or staff or community members in circle and then passing around a talking piece. But what I started to notice as I as I filmed the good stuff, like the best things that Eric does are often not in circle. Mm. It's the quality of communication and connection that he builds with people. And it might start in circle. Or it might start out in the street. He's going to show up fully for you, not wearing his teacher hat and saying, I'm a professional. I'm here to just do a job. But he's going to show up as person to person. (laughs) So as we went through the different edits and and post-production, we started eliminating circles. Mm. And not because they weren't good, but because there was all this incredible stuff happening outside of circle. (laughs) And in many ways, the story, sort of the deepest parts of the story are not actually in circle. They're in the home. They're in the car, Mm. uh, you know, where he's driving his son who's just been arrested for the first time for a crime he did not commit. Mm -hmm. These are like the heart-to-heart moments and that are often not happening in circle. And so then we, as you said, we went down to New Orleans. Eric got priced out of the Bay Area. Mm. He was not making enough to live here and to raise his child here. And so he went down to New Orleans on his way to a new job in Texas, which geographically doesn't make sense. But if you go go anywhere near New Orleans and you have family there, as Eric does, you're obligated to go through New Orleans. So he goes back and and his daughter's there and his daughter lives apart from them. And so I was there to film Eric reconnecting with his biological family. Mm. What he did not prepare me for was when we stopped off at this guy who he kept referring to as Uncle Ted. I was like, is that is that your uncle? He's like, no, he's not actually my uncle. Everybody just calls him Uncle Ted. I was like, okay. But he didn't set it up like, you need to be rolling. This is going to be the <laughs> most important thing you're going to record in the film. <laughs> and so we pull up. And actually, if you, if you pay close attention to the scene, Eric hits his head on the way out of the van when we pull up to Uncle Ted. Oh. Oh, no. He drops his lavalier on, on the street. Like, we were just blindsided. Uncle Ted comes up to Eric. Uncle Ted, who's this incredible older civil rights hero from New Orleans, he 
beams at Eric. Eric beams back at him. They wrap their arms around each other in this like 20 second long embrace. And Eric turns into a little boy. Yes. With gleaming eyes, just like eyes, like looking at this man with a type of fatherly love that I'd never seen him show Mm. to anybody. Mm. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) Eric is Eric because of Uncle Ted Mm -hmm. and Uncle Ted came into Eric's life when he was 15, what, 15, 16 years old. Uh, A little younger than that. And his early adolescence, Uncle Ted enters his life Mm -hmm. and physically goes into the desire housing projects where Eric is growing up without his father in that picture and says, I'm not going to let failure destroy your life i'm not gonna let this one child is not gonna be lost and he takes him to the banks of the mississippi and teaches him to fish um he talks to him in a way that shows communicates love and he plays this kind of uncle figure to eric Mm -hmm. and not only that he instills a social consciousness in eric whose entire life was you know a three square mile area in the ninth ward of new orleans and he takes him to selma alabama and and they protest racial tracking that was going on in and up in alabama at the time in selma and takes him to all these seminal places where the civil rights battles were were staged Mm -hmm. and i've been trying to figure out this whole time like where does it come from Mm -hmm. when did eric become eric without any amazing male role model and i met uncle ted and it was just like click and so we didn't have to get rid of the title because because the title fit better than it even had when it was filming these physical circles here was this idea that life doesn't progress in linear fashion it does these circles and you can call them cycles you can call them circles and life tries to close the circles that it that it leads with and the effort to to perpetuate positive circles in the face of the absence of his father and then there's this new man that comes in that tries to help teach eric to become a father to his own son Mm -hmm. so that his own son can become a great father to his son and so on and so forth and so it's that idea that there's these ripple effects Mm -hmm. that happen when you positively intervene in a young person's life you hold the potential to not only transform their life but every person who they touch Mm -hmm. I love it so much. Eric, what was your connection and feelings towards the title? Exactly what Cassie said. Like, I thought it was befitting. And understand that I wasn't a part of the editing process. So it was just me being filmed. So since Cassidy was filming Circles, the title was befitting to what, in my mind, we were going to be seeing. Makes perfect sense. I should just quickly add that one of the added layers, I don't think, I, I never would have been so bold as to try to tell a story of Eric as a child or the ongoing social justice struggle for civil rights in the United States broadly and, and not just focused on Oakland. <laughs> but there turns out that this entire blossoming relationship between Eric and Uncle Ted was filmed by ABC News. There was a camera crew sent from New York down to New Orleans and And the segment that they were filming for was called The Lost Generation. And Eric and Ted's relationship stood as the exception to children that were being grinded up in the system and a man who was fighting to bring that to an end. Mm. 
And in fact, there's almost no footage left from the Desire Housing Projects at all. And nobody except for Uncle Ted and Eric really remembered that there was this camera crew that had filmed them back in the in the late 80s. I'm going through footage, uh, you know, reviewing the footage of the interaction between Uncle Ted and, and Eric. And, and Uncle Ted says, hey, remember when uh, those guys with the camera were following us and Eric's like, the guys who gave us pizza, right? And <laughs> Uncle Ted's like, yeah. And then they don't mention it again. Mm. So I'm, go- I'm coming through my footage and trying to log in, and I'm like, camera? Camera crew? What are they talking about? Eric said that all the, even the photos of Eric as a child were destroyed under the, you know, the, the rising tide um, under Hurricane Katrina. And so as far as I'm, I know, there's nothing from his past. And then what I unearthed through some research is that there's actually five hours of undigitized footage sitting in an ABC vault in New York that hasn't been touched for 30 years. And nobody even knows it's there. And so I paid ABC an inordinate sum to have it digitized just so I could even see what was on there. And still, I'm not convinced that there's anything on there. And there was everything was on there. (laughs) An entire childhood, the entire captured story of them fishing on the banks of the Mississippi, of Uncle Ted teaching Eric fishing as a metaphor for learning patience. Yes. And it was all there, unedited, untouched, (laughs) collecting cobwebs. You made him work for it. Thank you. (laughs) For Cassidy to be able to make the, the film, or for me to be able to participate... I have to participate in a way that I'm not in a movie. Mm-hmm. And for a couple of different reasons, like my ego is one of them. So like this guy following me with a camera. So when Cassidy would ask me questions about almost anything, I would say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or I would say, um, especially if it was about the past, anything from New Orleans, I would say, I, I don't know. And it wasn't because I was trying to be facetious. It was just that it wasn't important. to. I, I didn't know what he was trying to capture and I didn't have to dig deep into my memories. And you don't want a subject, a film subject to be self-conscious or thinking about the editing. Yeah. You want them to just be living mm-hmm. just and, and, and just right. doing and being. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a constant theme that Cassidy's telling me the whole time we're filming. And, and of course I know he would say, um, just pretend I'm not here. He's been filming me so much that I've heard it a hundred times. So you're actually not here. But while he wants me to pretend I'm not there, he also has these questions about the past. And it's like, uh, I'm really nonchalant about it. This interaction with Uncle Ted was as much of a surprise to me as it was to Cassidy. I didn't even think that this would be an opportunity to learn more about myself. Um, I've been asked, where do I get the instincts from? since I've been doing this work and I don't have an answer, but this film kind of underlines it microscopically. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think you both did such a good job of bringing in humanity. These peace circles are about humanity, conversation, communication, understanding, relatability. But also I can appreciate the fact that you guys don't stray away from the fact that racism and oppression plays a part. So I think that all those stories really just teach us about ourselves and really bring it back to humanity and communication. We'll give the people the screenings in a second. Anything else you guys want to tell people about this film, Circles? I don't don't think that Cassidy gets enough credit for bringing out the pain and the celebration. 
celebration of restorative justice, the humanity of restorative justice. Because if you look at it on the outside, it doesn't look like something that the world can connect to and we can all be a part of this transformation. But through the telling of these stories, it looks like something that we all can accomplish. At Bunch, we got rid of suspensions in a year. Mm. So in the world, can we get rid of racism? Can we get rid of sexism and classism? And I think this film asks us what our part is, and it lends us an, an, an opportunity to seek what we can do together to make things happen. Definitely. Cassidy, anything else you want to tell the people about circles? Yeah, I think this kind of piggybacks on what Eric just said. I'm a white guy, grew up in Marin County. And so I just want to be clear that I didn't like set out to make a film about black people or the black experience for which I'm woefully underqualified to speak or to make a film about. What attracted me to Eric and the work that he was doing was the work that he was doing. And the context was secondary. Mm -hmm. Like Eric said, once you start opening lines of communication and doing things like active listening and showing each other our humanity, all the other elements, the sexism, the racism, which are all just sort of um, variations of not seeing each other Mm -hmm. and not experiencing each other's humanity. Those all sort of were secondary. But as you are filming this man who's doing this work, his blackness and the things that were happening to him and the children he was working with and his own son were unavoidably intertwined with race. Mm -hmm. And so when Trey, Eric's son, was arrested for a crime he didn't commit, the conversation between me and Eric was, why is this happening to your kid? I actually had my own son while we were making this film. And so this theoretical contrast of my white privilege versus Eric's lack of privilege by being a black man, these things became contrasted and unavoidable. Like we couldn't get away from the fact that here in the Bay Area, for me to live one way, the laws and all the structure that's there, Mm -hmm. that's working, quote unquote, for people like me Mm -hmm. is hurting people like Eric and his son Trey. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at justice in the Bay Area, we have to say it's working for some and not for others, which in our lens means it's not working. Mm -hmm. And so race became a a part. Gender became a part. Mm -hmm. All these things emerged as unavoidable parts of the story. But I definitely never set out to capture that. It was about finding a story that connected our shared humanity. Definitely. I love that so, so much. Of course, screening Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival this Saturday, March 30th. Then you guys are going to D.C. for Kelly Miller Middle School on April 10th and Columbia Heights Education Campus in D.C. on April 11th. And then the California Film Institute in San Rafael, April 15th. Then in Houston at the University of Houston downtown, April 25th. And then Julian Dubuque. Dubuque, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> International Film Festival in Iowa, April 25th and 28th. Check out the website, circlesmovie.com, and also the Facebook page, A Restorative Justice Documentary. All the screenings, all of that information is going to be in the description. And then, Eric, you're still continuing to do incredible work with Talking Peace and having race trainings. The next race training is going to be May 24th and 25th in Oakland. 
at Arch Horse Studios. The website for that is understandingingconflict.org. Anything else you want to add to invite people out to that event? Yeah, just come out. It's going to be a nice, safe space where we can have really difficult conversations. Unlike the um, trainings that are similar to this one, we're going to have some realistic outcomes to strive for. So get in contact. Let's have this conversation. Yay. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Right on. Thank you. And as always, thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure that follow or subscribe button on whatever you're listening on. As mentioned, the screenings and more information about Circles is in the show description, so check it out. And come see it this weekend at the Sebastopol Documentary Film Festival. They'll be there. I'll be there. Come on out. You can always reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at Special Says and on Instagram, it's at Special Says as well. <laughs>